Thanks, sweetie. Yeah, it was a really great time, and I really appreciated uh, all the messages. Um, there was a there was a brother named Mar Mark Martin, and he spoke about the Spanish ministry, and I was really stirred because, you know, um, he made me feel Latino again. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, it, it's it's a great need, and and, and it's not about uh, two different churches; it's about one church, two different languages. And the New Testament, they they immigrated into foreign countries to spread the gospel, and they were immigrants. Paul and his companions. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because we're talking about the kingdom and we're talking about relationships. And I dash the kingdom because whenever you're part of a kingdom, there is a king. There's the one who is in charge. And the book of Acts is, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit wants his church back. I think humanity and human leadership and human ideas sometimes try to uh, think that, hey, I'm going to lead the church this way. But the Holy Spirit leads the church, and he always will, and he will take his church back. And, uh, and so today I'm going to give you a little idea of how kingdom relationships are when there is conflict. Because even though we're in the church and we're a family, from time to time, we disagree with each other. And it's those moments where we disagree with each other, what do we do or what should we do? And before I begin, I also want to thank our Awesome brothers and sisters online who are with us. There's about 13 to 15 of them online every Sunday. Just wanted to say welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to talk about kingdom relationships. I want to talk about these three characters. Barnabas, Paul, and Mark, also known as John. When you read your Bible, in the, in the book of Acts, you're going to run into these three guys. Barnabas was the early guy, the leader of the Gentiles, and he brought in Paul in Antioch, because there were so many Gentiles becoming Christians, he needed help, and so he, he recruited Paul from Tarsus to come and help him, and Paul, Paul ends up becoming one of the most prolific church leaders, spirit-led church leaders, he writes the New Testament, uh, most of it, and he's an apprentice of Barnabas, and then there's this guy named John Mark, who's a companion of both Barnabas and Paul, and their very first missionary journey. So I want to just start off this uh, I, picture of these three guys. I'm not sure if they look like that, but, you know, it's, it's what AI-generated images can do for you nowadays. So that's what they did. And here's Barnabas and Saul. I don't know if they look like that, but, but Barnabas was a little bit older, and Saul was a little bit younger. And so there's this relationship they had. And so in, in the book of Acts chapter 13, the church in Antioch were a lot of these uh, Gentiles were becoming disciples. They were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Notice the order of people. Barnabas is first. Barnabas is the leader. Barnabas is the guide. Barnabas is the experienced one. He's the same guy that when they were raising money, he, he sold his home and gave all the proceeds and generosity to the church so missions can be planted. This is the guy. Notice where Saul is in the order. He's last. Because people were suspicious of Paul. Because he was killing Christians. And so Barnabas was trying to give Paul, Saul credibility by bringing him along. And so here they are. And the church goes, while they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. I don't know if that was audio or it was a conclusion. But they said, set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Again, there's the Spirit leading the church. Went down to Seleucia and sailed, there from, sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. It's an important understanding. That's where they went. Even though it was a Gentile city of Antioch, they went to, because they were Jewish guys, they went, where, where, are the, where are the people we need to share with? They're in church. Where's the church? It's in the Jewish synagogues. So they go there, and John was with them as their helper. The Holy Spirit is leading. And so they complete their very first mission. They go on a little mission, and afterwards, they have this council. So what do we do with the Gentiles? And what do we do? And so they come up with a conclusion. We're going to let the Gentiles in. It's going to be a great party. And so Paul, after some time, sometime later, after the first journey, they want to go back. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back. Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns that where, we, where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. This controversy was no simple disagreement. This was a very, very emotionally violent disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take John. But Paul goes, it's not wise to take him because he left us on our very first missionary journey. It was a sudden outburst. And it gives you the intensity of the ideas where they disagreed and they parted company. They were no longer doing it together. Now, that Luke is willing to record these events, and I really appreciate him doing that because, you know, the church does have rough patches. If we read the Bible and there was no rough patches, we'd be like, man, something's off here. The Bible always gives you the rough patches because you can relate to the humanity of even men like Paul and Barnabas. Great men, but they're human. They're imperfect. And we can take comfort that great men can disagree from time to time. Now, we know that Paul and Barnabas disagreed over whether Mark should be taken with them but the question is, why? I know he left them, but why did John Mark leave? Why did John Mark abandon the mission? Why, why did this happen? So here they, here they were. This was their first journey from Antioch. They went from Jerusalem. They didn't want to leave Jerusalem. Persecution pushed them forward. They went to Antioch, and a lot of Greeks were, became Christians, and they called Saul from Tarsus. They went here. And right here, you see here, there was a problem. There was a, something happened here in Cyprus. But later on, John goes, I can't stay with you guys. Something happened. The question is, what happened? Let's take a look what the Bible might give us some clues. The Bible's not, Luke's very good at not blaming one or the other. He's just kind of giving you the, the what, what happened. He's not taking sides with Paul. He's not taking sides with Barnabas. He's just giving us information so we can glean. How we handle our relationships when there's a disagreement of opinions. And this was an opinion issue. John Mark, in Paul's eyes, had a defect in his character. He quit. He's a quitter. He's not ready. He's immature. He can't handle it. And Barnes was like, well, give him a chance. Give him a chance. Everyone can be redeemed. Right? And in this church, there's Barnabases and then there's Pauls. 
right? And I know who you are. It's Gracie and it's Gracie and Trucy. The Trucy's Paul. The Gracie's Barnabas. So there's this mix. Okay. Paul thought it was best not to take John Mark with them because he had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone and done the work. Now, Paul and his companions, they set sail for Paphos. This is their, this is their first missionary journey, and they came to Persia, Perga in Pamphylia. And then John Mark had left them, and he went back to Jerusalem. He didn't go back to Antioch. He went back to the home church. Now, this is what kind of happened in their first missionary trip. Let's take a look to see if we can glean what may have happened and what may have stirred John to quit the mission trip with Barnabas and Paul. They're all Jewish. And they traveled to that island, uh, to Paphos, and there they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. That's a funny name, but, you know, that's what they, what they called him. Who was also an attendant to the proconsul, to the, to the governor of that island named Sergius Paulus. He was an intelligent man, and he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Iliamus, the sorcerer, that's, that's his other name. It's, it's the same person, just a, another way they call him. Iliamus, the sorcerer, for that is what the name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So they're on this island. First stop, they run into a Jewish sorcerer, and they get, they get an audience with the Gentile governor. And so Paul confronts them and says, you know, you're from the devil. And immediately mist and darkness came over uh, Eliamus, and he groped around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergia, to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them, and he went back to Jerusalem. So he, 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 he leaves the island, he goes to Pamphylia, and he goes straight back to Jerusalem, right after that incident. So we can glean a little bit of what happened there. One idea is that he was concerned and, and, and alarmed that, that we weren't sticking to the Jewish synagogues. We're, we're kind of going into the Gentile land, and he didn't know how, how, how to handle that, what to do about that. There was no... There was no uh, Oh, uh, Acts 15, Jerusalem Council, yeah. They were just kind of going and sharing their faith and making disciples. And he got concerned, possibly, and he went back and he alarmed the church because the very next thing happens in the Bible is that they have a council about what to do with the Gentiles because Paul is not just re re reaching the Jews. He's having an impact on the Gentiles. What do we do? So they all get called back to Jerusalem to decide what do we do with these Gentiles who are becoming Christians. Now, if you wonder who the Gentiles are, that means non-Israelites. That's you, big man. Okay? That's us. So we're like, thank you, Paul. Right? That's us. And Mark might have been concerned about that. He might have been concerned because the council, what do we do with the Gentiles? What do we do with these, these guys? They're dirty. They're unclean. They're against our Jewish laws and our culture. They, they, they're so backwards. How do we let them in the church? We'd have to shower every five minutes. Wash our hands all the time. The bathroom would be, would be packed with us trying to wash our hands after fellowship. Right? What do we do? Because the Jewish, Jews had a specific ceremonial cleaning. They couldn't be around anything unclean. Because the Gentiles, they ate things that were unclean. They ate animals that were unclean. They ate the pig, which is my, one of my favorite animals. It's a magical animal, actually. You can make a lot of things from the pig. Uh, I'm glad God cleaned that problem up in Acts chapter 10. 
The church at this point was mainly a Jewish church, and the solution was to accept the disciples, but look what they told the Gentiles. Be sensitive. Be sensitive to the Jewish brothers. Food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals. They like their meat medium rare, right? Don't, don't participate in these sacrifices. They didn't mind eating that food. To them, it was grub. To the Jews, it was like a devil worship. And obviously, avoid sexual immorality. So they were saying, hey, Gentiles, be sensitive to your Jewish brothers. That was their call. We can accept them, but be sensitive. So John Mark left the mission field, and, they had, and he may have alarmed the, the, the Jerusalem church. What is Paul doing? So they called Paul back. And the Holy Spirit decided that the Gentiles are welcome. So when, when Paul goes to Barnabas, hey, let's go back. He goes, we're not taking John, though. And Barnabas says, no, we should take John with us. And Paul goes, no, we are not going to take. And it was an emotional, violent outburst. And it was intense. Who was right? Paul saw a character flaw. John Mark was unfit for ministry. Barnabas recognized the flaw, but he wanted to grant, grant John Mark the opportunity to work through and work on his character. Now, I don't believe the debate here was over whether Mark was committed, but rather should he be given a second chance of redemption. Who was right? Barnabas or Paul? Some say Barnabas should have submitted to Paul's apostolic authority. But Barnabas had some credentials of himself. He was the leader of the first missionary journey. It wasn't Paul, even though they give him credit, Paul's first. It was really Barnabas. He, he was a juggernaut in the church. He was the leader of that first missionary journey. I mean, Barnabas could have made trouble for Paul. It shows us his fantastic character by refusing to use his clout to overrule or cause trouble for Paul, do you think he could have made trouble for Paul? Oh, absolutely he could have made trouble for Paul. Do you think he could have played the church politics game and get certain people excited and riled up against Paul? He certainly could have done that. He certainly could have split the church. He certainly could have caused a lot of problems, whispering doubts about Paul's credibility. Paul's already, his credibility was already flimsy as it was with the other apostles because he was killing Christians just a few years ago. Barnabas could have easily took advantage of this opportunity, but Barnabas doesn't because his character is amazing. And it gives us a lesson when we have division or argumentation or, or, or our differences of opinion, we don't try to go around the church and rally up people on our side to defy or go against and make trouble for our brother or sister. Paul doesn't, Barnabas doesn't do that. And if you know the history of our church, we always do that. The Church of Christ have always done that. You want communion cups? I'm leaving the church. You want worship music? I'm gone. You want a kitchen in the building? I'm leaving this church. The Holy Spirit left. What, our history is about that. We're always breaking up, breaking up, breaking up because I disagree. And they usually cite this passage. But I want to show you something. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers. The church felt great about it because Paul and Barnabas felt great about each other. They just disagreed on something. 
And he went to Syria and Sicilia, uh, Sicilia drinking and cooking. So not only do we have one missionary, uh, missionaries, now we have two. We have Barnabas and Paul going on. Ex- because the mission was more important than anything else. Their relationships were important because it, it connected to the mission. It connected it. The mission was so important. And Barnabas believed more in sanctification. He believed in that this is a process that you go through as a Christian. As you go and you live your life, you may not be a rock star spiritual juggernaut age one through five. But, you know, you, get, you stick in there with God and you stick in with the Holy Spirit. God will do something with you. God will change you over time. That's called sanctification. Now, if you took a film shot of me in my first year as a Christian, I was not a Christian. I was rebellious, I was prideful, I was impure, and I was immoral. But God was doing something with me. I stuck in there. I didn't give up. I was determined to grow. And here I am, 30-some years later. So, I have a little affection for Barnabas. I'm on the Barney team right there. I believe in redemption. I believe when Christians fall down and hurt and stumble. and are, I believe in sanctification. I believe in their ability to grow and to learn. I'm not so much like Paul. We're like, cut him off. He can't be, he can't be trusted. But there's, there's room for Paul in the kingdom. And there's room for Barnabas in the kingdom. And there's room for disagreement in the kingdom. As long as we're commended by the brothers and sisters. They're, they commend us. They go, that's okay. You have two differences of opinion about John Mark. Go ahead and, and, and go about the mission. Two missionary journeys were launched. Two of them. Now, I want to give a little, a little, little map here. This is the area here where, where they were at. It's pretty cool, this little, this little map. And, and, and Matt just shows his first, second, and there's a third missionary journey. But I, I won't uh, bore you with that. I love pictures. But I want to show you this. Barnabas, his credentials. He led the church in its earliest days. He brought Paul into the work. He was the teacher and Paul was the apprentice. Led the first missionary journey and represented the council at Jerusalem. That's big time. He didn't make trouble for Paul. And he avoided the church politics game. And God brings about good from the split between Barnabas and um, Paul. Paul writes later, he commends Barnabas' ministry. He tells the Corinthian church about Barnabas. He commends him about, hey, you support me just like you support and should support Barnabas. And then there's John Mark. We know he ended up hanging out with Peter, Barnabas. He hooked up with Peter. And he wrote one of the four Gospels. You have the Gospel according to Mark. Well, he was the scribe to Peter, and he wrote the Gospel that we read today. One of the four. Now, he didn't write it right after the conflict because he needed some time to grow. And he hung out with guys like Peter, and he hung out with guys like Barnabas. And we know that Paul developed a respect and love for Mark later in his life. We don't hear much about John Mark because... You know, the, the, the story revolves around Paul and Luke who are out on the missionary journey. But Barnabas was working with John Mark, and so was Peter. He was around brothers out in the mission, doing the work of God. And so we know that Paul developed a great respect 
and love in Colossians chapter 4. And we know that Mark worked closely with Paul during Paul's imprisonment in Philippians chapter, uh, Philemon 23. But this is one of the most profound things that I found about this situation. After this emotionally violent argument and disagreement, Paul is at the end of his life. He asks to write the letter to Timothy. He knows he's about to die and hand, hand over Timothy to the church. And he writes this letter. He says, Luke is alone with me. He's in a dungeon. He's in prison. He's been beaten. It's time, it's time for Rome to execute Paul. He knows this is his last letter. This faithful son who we talked about last week, his brother, his affection toward Timothy, the next generation who's going to lead the churches in Ephesus. Get Mark. Get Mark. Bring him with you. Because I want to talk about his character 30 years ago. Because I want to remind him what a failure he was to the church and the ministry. Because I want to remind him of his immaturity and defects. Now he abandoned me. I have to get my attitude out. No. That's, some, that's something that maybe one of us would do, right? If we're going to hold on to that bitterness. Is get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He is helpful to me in my ministry. Here we have this man, John Mark, who clearly messed up. He abandoned Paul and Barnabas on the first journey. And in many cases, you know, I think about John Mark, you know, after that embarrassment, I probably would have left the church. Because it was pretty embarrassing. But he doesn't. He doesn't leave. He doesn't tuck tail and run. He stays in there. Mark stays in the battle. He stays in the fight. He goes down into that, into that pit on a snowy day. It's a book I'm reading that, that Logan had just read and thought it was amazing. And I'm reading that book. No, Mark stayed in the battle. He, he stayed in the fight. He didn't give up. That's an encouragement to us when we make mistakes, that we think, oh, this is unforgivable. It's not. It's called sanctification if you stay with God. The Holy Spirit will do amazing work through your life, but you've got to stay in the fight. And you never want to quit. And John Mark does not quit the battle. And he stays in there. What can we learn? What can we learn from this story about disagreement? Well, our past don't make don't define our future. God's constantly working on us to make us more like Him. No matter your, the extent of your failure, you should always learn from it and allow God to continue to work out His sanctification process. It's never too late. Two, if you mess up in the ministry or in life. Don't ever feel like you can't get back in the spiritual battle. Mark was a late bloomer. See, I was a late bloomer. I didn't really get Christianity. I came from a very pagan world to Christianity. It took me a time to process it. To process pure relationship. To process dating sisters purely. It took me a long time because I lived my life 
recklessly. Women were objects to be used, not to be lifted up and held holy and, and blameless. Not in my world. So I had a rough time when I first became a Christian. But through time, I was able to do it. I, at one point, I didn't even believe you can do it. It's impossible. It's impossible, Thomas. It's impossible to be pure. He's like, it is. It's impossible. You can't do it. I didn't date for a long time. And then I dated Kim. She's pure. She's good. She's Pisa puede. See, the Latin guy's coming out. The Latin guy's coming out. Martin Cerise is his name. He's in the he's in the he's in the coastal region. I called him I called him Martin Luther King at the at the he got me fired up. It's never too late to connect with someone you've let down. Maybe you let maybe you let your dad down or your mom down. Never too late to connect. Maybe you let your, your, your friend down. It's never too late to reconnect with your friend. And it's never too late to forgive someone who you let down. You know, we've been let down by people. And it's never too late to forgive someone who has let you down. We failed uh, someone in our past. You know, they failed us. And sometimes people go by years without speaking because of falling out. When someone hurts us and we sin, they're always that type of person that we're never going to change. But we need to always remember that if we can change over time, so can someone else. And lastly, the mission. This is your mission this week, or next several weeks. I should say always if you're a disciple. Spend some time with someone who is not a disciple and love them. Spend time. I know we're good at holy huddles. We love hanging out with disciples. We love disciples. We love them. But there are people who aren't disciples. Clearly aren't disciples. Maybe they're believers in some way, but I'm talking like a really lover of God. We have got to do a great job and stay on the mission, stay in the fight to love people. Love them. Serve them. Spend time with them. Listen to them. Don't give them all the answers. Just listen to them. If you listen enough, if you listen with love, they start falling in love with, with what you think about God. And they start, they start saying, God, if God is like you, then I want to be with God. Because we're, all, we're the reflection of God. We're the ambassadors. We're the representatives of God. So when, when they see us loving them, they instantly go, man, God must be awesome because you are a very loving person. So there's that connection. So this is your this is your to-do. But a person, you spend time with God. Spend time and ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to someone in your life circle who's not a disciple. I'm sure you have a list by now. I've always told you, make a list of everyone the Holy Spirit is putting around you. If you make a list and you pick someone, go love them. You go spend time with them. Go get a cup of coffee with them. Go get a, buy them dinner. Buy them a lunch. Buy them a beer. Buy them fries. Buy them a pizza. Watch your cholesterol go. Right? I say that now. I'm 50. I'm 51. I'm saying that now. Back in your day, I wouldn't worry about it. This is what we can learn from the story of Paul and Barnabas and how they honored each other. Even though they had two different perspectives on how they handled people, they commended and loved each other and respected each other and didn't undermine each other when there was a disagreement about how to do and how to work together in God's kingdom. Let's pray for our community. God, thank you so much for this.
awesome example of two amazing brothers that we read about and respect and admire so much. Help us, God, to value our relationships in the kingdom. You're the king, and we're known by our love. We're known by our love for one another, that the world will know that we're your disciples. Help us to live that way, God. Help us to uh, help us to be, be reminded by your Holy Spirit that we're inviting the Holy Spirit to invite you into our lives, to move us, to remind us about not only our relationships, not only our sanctification as we, as we, as we keep growing spiritually, but also, God, as we look for those who aren't disciples, we love them. They're, oh, they're around us, God. And thank you for putting them in our lives so we can reach out to them. And they already know us, which is even better. So we can strengthen them. We love you, God. Thank you for Jesus and his resurrection that makes this all possible. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be doing our little contribution here. If you ever want to do contribution, let me know. I'll, be, you know. I'll give you some things to read and you can read this book. It's really easy. It's got, it's got a short book here and you can kind of read the, read the lines and you know, it stirs hearts. This is last week. We talked about how Jesus came across the Jewish Israelites. They replaced their idols and they replaced it with the, their desire to hold and keep and acquire. Just and thinking it was their gifts and their labels. They did it themselves. And so they wanted to hold on to it no matter what. And they, had, they lost. And having money takes over as their master. And they had no interest in serving their neighbors anymore. Their labor to bless others with their money. Jesus, that's why Jesus talks about money a lot to the Israelites. Because they were idolatrous with their money. So if you ever want why Jesus talks so much about money, it's because the Israelites had replaced their idols with money. And their love for it. So that's why Jesus attacks their heart with it. Okay. A sin for the not so rich. Uh, however, not all financial idolatry is related to a desire for riches. Jesus goes on to address another issue related to money. Worry and anxiety. We worry about losing our money or about not having enough for our survival. That is true. I would agree with that. But if God so clothes the grass of the field in Matthew 6, which is, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, is talking to Israelites. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And if you can't go to Chick-fil-A, what, what shall we wear? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You know, there's, there's a lot to be said here about anxiety and fear and generosity and do I have. And, and Jesus is really saying, look, God will take care of you. Put your trust in God and give your all for the kingdom. That's, that's what God's calling us to do. Here's our digital platform. There's many ways to give. As a reminder, if you're visiting with us, you just cannot have a space in here. Otherwise, you're going to give your money to Austin. Um, special missions. Um, this is a very, every, every group of churches come together to support the work across the entire world. Now, this list is very long, but if you go to the All Nations app and download it, you'll see all the work. In fact, there's a, there's a fund. If you want to go on a mission trip for the summer and go evangelize a country, there's a fund that you can apply for and they'll pay for you to go out there. It's called the Bean Fund. He was a brother that passed away about 20 years ago, but he left a lot of money 
and the and the administration of, of the of the funds, they invested it and they tripled it. So there's a lot of money. And it's used for young men and women, anyone, old, empty nesters, doesn't matter. It's a fund. It's on that app. So the Baltic Nordic mission, that's us. It's also Caribbean, Chinese, and European. It's awesome. Here's a little bit of, uh, this is Norway when I went last, uh, last month. The brothers uh, said I had to be here early in the morning. This is a very, this is, this is frozen ocean. Frozen there. Frozen to the side. And I had to jump in that frozen. There's a little motor here that doesn't let the ice uh, coagulate. It's freezing. And I said, Gio, we're going to just jump in, and we want you to jump in with us. And I, honestly, I was like, no. My heart, I was like, my heart might stop. I literally might die in the water. I mean, I, you know, that's, that's a shockingly cold. One thing to turn your shower on cold, that's cold. And so this, this, this four brothers, they started, they, jumped, they got out. They, I'm taking a picture from the sauna. Look, I want to be here in the sauna, guys. I'm going to relax in here. You guys can go out there and be with Jesus. They go, no, bro, you got to get out here and do it. So finally when I agreed to go out, I put my camera down. I took two steps to jump in, and I slipped and landed on my back. And I said, this is a sign, guys. The sign, the Lord does not want me going in there. I'm going to conclude the Holy Spirit does not want me to go into this water. So one of the brothers jumped in first. These guys were standing on the ice and walking on the ice out here, guys. This is what they were doing. But I eventually jump in. No, no, I eventually just, first I go down the ladder. I'm not going to jump. Heart, you know, heart, heart. And I go down the ladder, and I'm going, yes, it's cool. I confirm I'm not going to do this. So I get back up, and they say, bro, you got to go do it. You got to do, you, you're, you're, you've been with Oslo for 18-some years. This is what we do in Oslo. So I finally said, okay, I'm going. And I jumped in about seven times. Seven times. And that water was freezing. And they had me stand there for a minute. I couldn't do it. Ten seconds, and I had to get out. My body was, okay? But this is, this symbolizes the spiritual heart of the people in Norway. It's hardened by ice, cold, distant. They need Jesus. And it's great to have a, a church there of 90 disciples in Oslo. Some of you have been there. Louis Rivera has been to, to Norway. Josh Massey's been in Norway. We sent, we sent uh, Olivia last year to Finland. And we're going to send some more. So if you want to go the, to the Nordics and to Finland this summer, please let Logan know because he has a link you can sign up for, and we can send you there. This is the church in Oslo, 95 disciples. They're awesome. This is Rovina. She's married to an Albanian non-disciple. Has children. She's, a, she's, she's a, in the Oslo church. She came back. She left for many years. And she came back to the Oslo church. You know, if you if you don't like our church, you can go to Sini. You can go to Santa Barbara. You can go to the Valley. But in Oslo, that's it. That's the only church. Our, one of our churches. That's it. You have no other. That's it. Over here, you have choices. Oh, I don't like this preacher. I'm going here. Oh, I don't like this old man. I don't like this team. You can go anywhere. But not there. That's it. And so Ravina goes, I'm going to move back to Oslo because I want to be with the church. And so she, she brought her family there, her husband's there. Her husband attends everything. She's a cool guy. She's not a, a Christian anymore, but we're still loving her. Here's half the church here on this side. Some great people. This is a Ukrainian sister we support financially. 
she's there. Her and a few others are in there. There's the other half. There's their little high school teen adult little ministry here, hanging out in the church. Um, there, there, there's uh, it's just one of the one of the leaders there in the church. Um, yeah, there's this there's Richard. I stay with this guy all the time, Richard. I mean his wife. I stay in their house. I don't stay in hotels. I just go and live with them, hang out with them. This guy here is, is Eric the Red. This is two Viking here. That guy's a Viking. We, we stuck here. We stuck. Special mission. Our financial team has requested this. We still we still think about the Ukrainians, the, the sisters and, the, and, the, and their and their children. The men are still over there in in the battlefield trying to serve and love and love people. Uh, 7.5 goes to our media platform. We want to enhance our our online, our social media. We want to, we want to bolster that. We want to really pick that up. Have really really get get someone to really spend some time in making our our media presentation. Uh, to reach more people, uh, Pacific Southwest. This little seat you have right here, in your, in your, in your, in, uh, by your, by your uh, chair. Look at all the churches we've planted since we started doing this fund. St. Louis Obispo, Reno, Flagstaff, Hilo, Hawaii, UC, UC Merced. Um, we just planted uh, Merced. Yeah, Merced. It just happened just uh, this year. And we're supporting them. So your 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 contribution is having an impact on people. It's having an impact. Stronghold Shoreline, yay, we're still on the budget. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. We'll keep growing. And we'll give 40% to the Nordic Baltic Mission Alliance, which is the countries I said earlier in the, in the presentation. So um, this is something that you have to allow the Holy Spirit, you have to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to do these things. I'm not, I'm not telling you how much to give. This is the, our financial team, team came up with this goal. There's no multiple. There's no three times a week. You know, I'm not doing that. All I'm asking you to do is to invite the Holy Spirit into your life as you contemplate your giving. That's, that's the biblical way. Because you'll be fired up and you'll be, you'll be generous and it'll be great. And you'll do better spiritually and you'll never get mad at the church because the Holy Spirit is moving your hearts. Because the Bible says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Let's pray for our contribution. God, thank you for the, the honor of giving. You know, being a Christian 30-some years, God, I've done this every year I've been a Christian. And, and I'm, never, I'm, never, I'm never not amazed at what you do and how you're moving and how you're working, not only in my heart, but in around the world. And just the testimony of the disciples from, from Korea, from Hawaii, from Reno, church leaders saw them this weekend, and all the great things that are happening. It's just amazing what you do. God, so we're grateful to participate in this, this amazing opportunity to, to advance your cause, God. We're here on this earth to advance what you want and what you desire. So use us in many ways to do this, God. In, your, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.